Hi, my name is Gina, and welcome to Letters to My Daughters podcast. This is season two. I know I gave myself a deadline to publish a new season back in November, uh, but that didn't quite happen. In this episode, I hope to get into why that happened, among other things. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back. There's a song that I really like that has the line, can I just fail enough to bail out? I want to be brutally honest here. This has been my MO since I can remember. And I can remember times in my life with exasperated teachers, with family members who were frustrated with me when I did fail enough to bail out like with chores or school. I somehow graduated from high school, but I rarely turned in homework or projects. I would let my bedroom get so messy that other people would come and clean it for me. I would fail and they would bail me out. But as an adult, I've had these moments of thinking, I can't do this, I'm out. I have used my own failure as an excuse to leave opportunities. Sometimes it isn't even real failure. It's a lack of confidence that has convinced me that I should just walk away. Old habits die hard and I figured I would fail eventually anyway. I remember when that mindset started changing for me. It was when I had my first daughter and conviction set in. I could not fail her. I just couldn't. I went from living in a world in which I did not allow others to have expectations of me to living in a world that required me to hold myself to a much, much higher standard. Lately, I have been thinking about the voice inside of me, the voice that tells me, don't do that, you'll fail. I have been evaluating where that voice comes from. When I was in the sixth grade, I met a girl at school. She had a really rough family history and spent time in foster care. Outside of my own personal experience with adoption and foster care, I had never met anyone that was in the system too. She was new at school and I made a point of becoming her friend. I remember telling my mom about her feeling compassion for her family situation and wishing I could do something to help. My mom asked me why I always found misfits to hang out with. It was during this time in my life that I started to feel confusion about my identity on who I should become. I've always been sensitive. From an early age, I remember thinking thoughts that weren't really normal for my age. I deeply internalized my adoption and battled with strong feelings of abandonment and rejection. I am very sensitive to the suffering of other people and typically react to that suffering by wanting to help. 
I remember being about six years old and hearing that someone's house burned down. It was somebody my family knew, so I emptied out my toys and my clothes and stuffed them into trash bags to give to the victims of this fire. When I see other people hurting, I hurt too. It's a gut thing, a feeling in my soul, this overwhelming sorrow for suffering and a strong desire to make it better. As a kid, my mom would tell me that I would not be good at social work, a field that I felt called to at the time because I would take on everyone else's problems and try to fix them. Nearly every time I would share a dream, it would be met with hesitation or condemnation. So here is where I am going with this. I am a mom. I have three children. I have seen every phase of their lives. As they have matured out of infancy, their personalities have emerged. Their unique traits start to appear. And while psychology and science might label that as nature versus nurture, I believe that those traits are the first inklings of spiritual gifts from God. Matthew 25, 14-30 tells us the story of the talents. Back in the Old Testament, talents were sums of money. But in this modern world, we see talents as our natural abilities. When I consider God's act of creation, and that G.K. Chesterton quote that I love so much, the one that says that God didn't create every daisy out of necessity, I have to believe that not only were we gifted with unique talents and abilities, but that God also said they were good. If I can convince myself to believe that I was intentionally created, not because the human race will carry on until the earth explodes with people, but because God formed me, looked at me, smiled, said I was good, and then set me free to live life, I have to believe that he also equipped me to live life according to his will so that I can truly live freely. If I put it in terms of money, I was born a lottery winner, a millionaire. That money was put in trust for me, in the care of parents and caregivers, on hold until I reached the point in my maturity where I could handle it. What my caregivers did with my inheritance is on them. But when it comes time for me to grab hold of that inheritance, that lottery money, I have some choices to make. I can remember being a teenager, maybe even younger than that, and telling my mom that I could not wait to turn 18. In my mind, 18 was the lucky age at which I would grab hold of my inheritance and never look back. I remember being so angry, so desperate to get away, and yet so afraid of adulthood, of hard work. In my case, becoming an adult allowed me to grab firmly onto my future, definitely. But it also launched me into a life that I wasn't prepared for. I got pregnant about two weeks after I graduated high school. I had been in a long-term relationship for all four years of high school, but I found out my senior year that the guy I was dating was actually habitually lying to me. Everything he ever told me was a lie. 
from where he lived to where he went to school to even what his hobbies were. I was naive and, like I said before, desperate. And the red flags looked less red than my own issues at home, so for four years I lived in a fantasy, a house of cards that I thought I had control of when the reality was that I was being abused on all sides. When I graduated high school, I left that relationship, but I got reckless. I wanted to be in control of my life, of my destiny, but I was super immature. I wasn't ready for my inheritance. Part of that was my upbringing. My parents didn't prepare me for the ways the world was going to come at me. But part of that was just my own carelessness. I was not a good steward of my future, and I had sex with someone as a part of a plot to get revenge. It's interesting to me now, looking back and thinking about that song verse. Can I just fail enough to bail out? I was late to the game applying for colleges, but somehow managed to get a nearly full-ride scholarship to culinary school and even went to orientation in another state. Part of me wonders if I self-sabotaged. I failed enough to bail out. And not just that, but my failure disconnected me from my parents in a way that felt justified on both sides. I had achieved very quickly the ideal that I had in my mind's eye. Independence, distance from my parents, freedom from rules and unfair situations. But in the process, I brought a human being into this world, into a situation that was toxic and abusive, into a family where she was loathed and loved all at the same time, viewed by relatives as the person who stole our future, but who protected it too. Motherhood was the first place in my life where I did not try to bail out. Once I held her in my arms, my heart connected with her in a way that I had never been connected to another person before. And that was my turning point, the time in my life when I realized I needed to succeed, but more than that, I wanted to. It's amazing to look at that experience as a motivating factor for getting myself to where I am today. The most amazing part is that through all of it, through the poverty, the abuse, the medical struggles my daughter faced, the brokenness, the bad advice, God moved. He moved because he brought people into my life when I needed them the most. He moved because my daughter never went hungry, and miraculously, our bills got paid. He moved because I didn't want to die anymore, and I actually began to live. So now, my oldest daughter is 10 years old, and I'm sitting here writing this letter which, just so you know, took me over a week to complete. I'm weeks late for my launch date for season two. My motivation is high, but my confidence, it's a little low. And it isn't that I didn't intend to launch a new season or that I was giving up, but there is a small part of me that felt too insecure to start again. It leads me to this thought. Where have I failed 
enough to bail out? But also, where have I avoided starting so that I wouldn't even have to worry about failing? Where haven't you started? My oldest daughter recently had the opportunity to run for office in her student government. She started attending school this year after being homeschooled for two years. She was afraid to run for president of her class, but she really wanted to try for vice president. She had thought of all of her campaign ideas, spoken quietly with the kids in other classes, and felt confident enough to run. That is, until another girl confronted her and told her not to run. So she didn't. She has been feeling so much pressure at school to be well-liked, to get good grades, to stand out and be noticed. She felt like running against her friends would ruin their friendships, so she didn't even try. And the sad part is that after the election, those who lost, they cried and they felt sad. But the very next day, they came to school and they were all still friends. Sometimes our inner dialogue convinces us that our imaginings are reality, even though they are founded in anxiety, exhaustion, and lies from Satan. Sometimes those imaginings cause us to make decisions that keep us from living the life God has called us to live. Sometimes. They cause us to bail out, and then to feel guilt and shame for not following through. Burying the talents, so to speak, places us in a cycle of untruth, a cycle that will make you love yourself less and fear the world more. I want to challenge you today. Push yourself outside of your comfort zone and walk in total, unconditional obedience to Christ. You will absolutely be called in directions that you did not expect, to people you didn't want to associate with, to forgiveness of things that seem unforgivable. But you will succeed. You will win. You will overcome. Galatians 6, 7-10 tells us, A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The beautiful thing about the sowing is that the harvest brings you abundance. During the fall season, I cooked three pumpkins. Each pumpkin came from one individual seed, but each pumpkin contained about 300 seeds. You see, God did not equip each pumpkin to only replace the one seed it took to grow it. He equipped it with 300 times what it took to make it grow. He equipped you just the same. So, what will you reap? What will you harvest? Do not let discouragement, unconfidence, lies from the enemy rob you of your harvest. You have everything you need inside of you. Your conscience, 
your spirit, your gifts and talents, your soul. God created you with intention for a purpose. Give him the opportunity to reap abundantly in you. I promise he will not let you fail. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in today. It means so much to me that my listeners keep coming back. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and share and even leave a review. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Letters to My Daughters Podcast. Thanks again for listening to my podcast and have a blessed week.